We made it. Well, not yet, but almost. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to read beginning today verses 20 to 25. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20 to 25. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach. That is, talking about the gospel here. To save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks want wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Christ And the cross is the expression, he says, of the power of God and the wisdom of God. Sometimes we think about the cross. In fact, probably most often we think about the cross and we think in terms of the love of God. And that's legitimate. Most of us know of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the cross, you see the love of God. We would also say you can see the wrath of God, the judgment of God, because God's judgment was shifted from us over to Christ who took the wrath of God for us. And that's why he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see the love of God, the wrath of God. Here, Paul adds two other attributes that you see in God when you look at the crucifixion. The power of God and the wisdom of God. That's what I want us to look at today. At the cross, you know, when you have tributaries running, like uh, if, you, if you think of the Mississippi River, and there are tributaries that run into the Mississippi River. And sometimes you even have a, a, a couple of places where tributaries or other rivers will flow into the Mississippi Those are called a conflux. Did y'all know that? See, pays to go to church. A conflux where several tributaries meet at once. Uh, You can do it also in languages or, or quotations. If you take a partial quote from one place, one person or one scripture, a partial quote from another, 
and you merge the quotes into one quote. That's, that's called conflation. See? Didn't know that, did you? Well, in the cross, there's a kind of flowing, mixing and merging of the attributes of God. A kind of conflux or conflation in which the wonderful things about God flow together and meet at one place at the cross. And today I want us to just ponder for a bit how the cross displays the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, the Corinthians were big on wisdom. They had divided up like first century Corinthians often would do. They had divided up into parties and they were following certain people they preferred. First uh, Corinthians 1, 11 says, It's reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. Each of you is saying, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas or Peter. So they had divided up because it was sophisticated. Some preachers were more sophisticated and some were more fervent and some were more scholarly. So they divided up. Paul says, this is the wisdom of the world. The cross is the true power of God and wisdom of God. Let's take first of all this idea, the cross is the power of God. You have to think about the cross as the ultimate symbol of weakness in the earth, especially in the first century. Uh, if you ponder it, Christianity now covers at least a third of the earth. There's over 2 billion professed Christians. In fact, in China, I saw a, a special a couple of weeks ago on uh, Christianity in China, and that Christianity has grown so fast, it's just become exponentially explosive. And that the Chinese government has now begun to crack down on Christianity. If y'all seen this and they're arresting pastors well the reason for it is Christianity has just grown so much it's become a threat to atheistic communist China and there are now more Christians in China than there are communists in China and members of the communist party that's a problem when you're a communist nation <laughs> So the Christian faith, the Christian, the life, the gospel has spread. It's become so powerful. And yet, the cross was the ultimate symbol of weakness. When God came to earth to save us, 
He did not come as some glorious angel clothed in pristine light. He came as a man. And he didn't just come as a man, but he came as a baby. And it wasn't just as a baby, but a, a baby in a poor, unobscure household. And he came to save us, not by living for us, but by dying. Think about that. That God is going to use a man dying to bring eternal living to us all. How can that be? He's going to bring the opposite out of death. And not just any death, a certain kind of death. The death of a cross, which in first century Rome was the most humiliating death you could die. Roman citizens could not be crucified. It was for the lowest of the low to be crucified. You were crucified in a public place. You were crucified naked. You were crucified at a crossroads where you would be derided and ridiculed and taunted and you would be crucified. A lot of times the crosses they have in pictures are very high up. But the probable cross was down low where you could at least throw stones and dogs might bite. And it would take two, three days to die. It was meant to send a message. So... One person wrote, Christianity is the only religion that has as its central event the humiliation of its God. So the cross designed by God to illustrate His power. So we would, we would say it like this. How is the cross the power of God? Well, God took the worst possible method, the weakest, the most shameful, the cross, to save us. See, if I said uh, uh, you're there's a you're gonna we're gonna have tanks in this war, and so we have to have tanks to fight them. What if I said, you're going to have a tank, but we're going to fight with a water pistol <laughs> and win? See, a water pistol and God is bigger than a tank, stronger than a tank. God wants to reduce the fight to its most central, common, weakest, shameful element to display 
His power. Because true power is not seen in, in how big is your enemy, but how small is your opponent, me. If I said I'm going to go and box someone, the world champion boxer, and I was to win, you would think that's a miracle. And you'd be right. <laughs> but if another great boxer fought another great boxer, then it's up in the air. It's up for grabs. But if a weak one, out of shape one, an older gentleman one, if he fought and he won, it's like David and Goliath. The reason it's so famous is because it's not one equal soldier fighting another. It's a weak one with God or Gideon and the Midianites. The reason that story's famous is because God reduced Gideon down to where it was just two or three hundred men fighting tens of thousands of Midianites. But he had God. It is the same manner only multiplied further at the cross. Weakness with God. So it's not only the worst possible method, the cross, but it's also God chose the worst possible moment in history. In the first century, Nero married his homosexual lover. After killing his wife and mother. Homosexuality was rampant. They not only had abortion, but they had what we would call exposure. Where, uh, there are letters, for example, in, uh, that have been discovered where a Roman soldier in the first century would write home to his pregnant wife and say, if, this, if you have a little boy, then keep it. If it's a little girl, take it to the garbage dump and expose it. Because they didn't want little girls. They wanted little boys. So they would expose them. And a lot of times people would come along, pick up these little kids and take them to brothels and raise them. Or Christians would come along and take them and, and adopt them. Most of the time they would just die. But that was legitimate. That was legal in first century Rome. And there was a blood sport we know as the gladiators who would fight to the death for the crowd's pleasure in the Colosseums. This is first century Rome. It was godless. It was violent. It was barbaric. And it was the worst moment in history. And it says, Psalm 65, verse 3, When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Not when I'm doing good and I'm at my best and I'm, oh man, I'm in the light now. No, it's when iniquities prevail. And iniquities had prevailed in the first century. It had come in like a flood. And then God raised up a standard against it. The power of God is seen in the cross because of the method, crucifixion. 
and the worst possible moment, first century, in the fullness of time, Paul says in Galatians 4. But also it's seen, power of God is seen in the people that he saves. If you're in 1 Corinthians 1, look at verse 26. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many are powerful. Not many of noble birth. I don't mean any offense here, but what Paul is saying is God saves people who ain't much. You ain't much to brag about. (laughs) Maybe I should read the text and quit talking. He says, verse 27, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised, even things that are nothing to bring to nothing things that are so no human being would boast in his presence. That's who God chose. By the way, he chose. This is by design. He wants to illustrate his power. God is not just saving people. He's saving them by a method and at a time in history and a certain people that brings him glory. So he's looking for the lowly, the no-names, the weak, the shameful. Do we have any of those here? You don't have to raise your hand. But I'm just telling you, you might be in if you're one of those. He also chose the most the worst possible manner in which he would die on the cross. What is that? Well, let me just flip over here. <clears throat> Isaiah 53, 7, uh, 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was talking about Christ being crucified for us. He says he was oppressed and afflicted, but he opened not his mouth. The manner in which he died, he did not go kicking and screaming, defending himself, crying for a lawyer, swearing at them, promising litigation, give me a defense. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. A sheep before its shearers, he opened not his mouth. Peter puts it this way, 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile back. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Where's the defense? Who? And remember, Jesus is crucified unjustly. He, this is mistreatment. Uh, there's no basis legally, morally, for the, what, what they did to him. So where's his defense? Why didn't he say something? Why didn't he say you got the wrong man? I didn't do what you're accusing me of. Most of us, myself included, if we're accused of something, we shout to the housetops, this is not right. Where's due process? 
Somebody honks at us. We'll honk for a half a mile down the road and they're already on another block. I say that not from experience. <laughs> Maybe a little. But think of all the things that came together in which God simply glorified His power in saving humanity and spreading redemption to all the earth and the glory that goes to God by the cross, to His power. Let me say just a word about the wisdom of God. The power of God, and Paul here says, the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me read a couple of verses here. 1 Corinthians 3, 18. Let no one deceive himself if anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age. Let him become a fool. In other words, if, if somebody thinks they're cunning and they're confident and they're sharp and they're sophisticated and they're articulate and they can maneuver and navigate this world with their positive thinking and handling of people. He says, if you need to become a fool, that is, in the eyes of the world, that you may become wise with God. For he says, verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. See, remember the cross is the wisdom of God. So how do we get there? Verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. It, as it is written, he's quoting from the Old Testament here, he catches the wise in their craftiness. He catches the wise in their craftiness. Here's what God does with man's wisdom. He uses it to bring about their downfall. He catches them in their own craftiness. He, he lets them dig the pit and then they fall into it accidentally. It's what Romans uh, or Psalm 7:15 says, "They dug a pit for me and then they fell into the pit that they had dug for me." That's what David said. We think of Haman in the book of Esther. And he plotted and he maneuvered to kill the Jews and to and he built a gallows to hang Mordecai, the leader, on. And before it is over, God had turned it around and he was hung on his own gallows that he had made for someone else. God caught him in his own craftiness. Or I think of the man who plotted a murder. It's a true story some time ago came out that a man had uh, had an altercation with a neighbor and so he decided that he would kill him. But he's smart, see. 
So he says, if I drive over to that street, people will recognize my car. But I'm shrewd. I'm smart. So he thought, I will borrow my girlfriend's car and I'll drive her car to kill my victim. Nobody will recognize her car. So he did. He drove over there, parked in front of his house, went in, shot him, got back in her car and drove off. Free. Crafty. Except that his girlfriend knew and turned him in. See, in his plot was his downfall. His strategy was his undoing. God caught him in his own craftiness. Or take the man who I read about recently who was going to plant a bomb. He was a terrorist. He's going to plant a bomb. So he, he got in his car to go and take the bomb somewhere and it exploded in his car, blew himself up. And this is what, what we're talking about, plotting rather than being simple and honest before God. And what, what God does is, at the cross, remember that Satan wanted to kill Jesus. In fact, he tried when he was born. Remember that? Herod. Satan was behind Herod. Trying, he tried to kill Jesus by killing all the babies in Bethlehem. See, he's crafty. Satan wants to kill Jesus. He comes up with a plan. He enters Judas to betray him because he knows the Pharisees also hate him, hate Jesus. But there's Pilate. Pilate, though, is weak. So he's maneuvering. He's putting it together to kill Jesus. Uh, for some reason, Satan is shrewd. He's sharp. Remember Genesis 3.1? Uh, the serpent was more crafty or subtle than any beast of the field. Satan is very crafty. But he's not very wise. He's not very insightful. Like Some demon should have said to him, you know, maybe Jesus is going to die for their sins, so we don't want to kill him. Satan never thought that. Satan just thought, if I can kill him, I win. So he maneuvered him to the cross. And in his crucifixion, Jesus took away our guilt and our sin and our penalty, and in Satan's craftiness... God showed his wisdom. He caught Satan in his own craft, in his own shrewdness, in his own cunning. So what Paul says here is, let no one deceive himself. If anyone thinks he's wise or crafty or sharp or shrewd, just become a little child, just become a fool before God so you become truly wise. Verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. He simply catches the wise in their own 
craftiness. So as we come into this new year, let's just commit to say, God, just help me. I don't want to be sophisticated. I don't want to be uh, famous. I don't, I don't want to be sharp. I just want to be a humble, obedient follower of Jesus. And that'll get you through the year. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do not want to bring our wits to this new year. We do not want to bring all our sophistication and mental skills. We want to bring our hearts to you. We pray that your grace and goodness would come to us, would abound in us and through us. Bless us. We pray that you'll take this offering, whatever size it is, what, let it come from our hearts. And you'll take this offering and meet our needs. For we've decided to be weak before you is true strength in life. In Jesus' name, amen.